We want to talk about the kingdom of God this morning again. I started a series from Matthew a while back here, and I'm going to continue that. So bring a message that I've entitled, Gentle Strength and a Big Appetite. Can you guess what we're going to talk about? Those of you who are familiar with Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes, Gentle Strength and a Big Appetite. Matthew 5, verses 5 and 6 is going to be the text. So as I shared and I began this series, we had a foundation for a life of happiness regardless of our circumstances. We face many circumstances in life. Some things are we think are good. Some things we think are bad. But God is in control of all these circumstances. He allows things to happen and and uh, he's in control. So what we think is good or what we think is bad is how we feel, yes. But God has everything in control. And so when we think something's really bad, it might be for our good that it happened. So let's think about that. But we want to look at what we've been looking at is how we can have happiness regardless of these circumstances. hope that we can all understand the significance of establishing these Beatitudes as a foundation for our lives. Very, very fundamental as a Christian. As we look at Jesus' teaching here in the Beatitudes, there's a sequence in the Sermon on the Mount. Each truth is built. It's a building block. It supports the one that follows. So as we go through the Beatitudes, that's the way it is. Any structure that is built on a rock will withstand the most severe storms. And this truth applies to our lives as well. But the foundation in a building process is the very critical point. You builders know that. And you guys that, lay, that put trusses down know that even though the truss is up eight, 10 feet high in the air from the foundation, what happened at the foundation really affects what you do up there, right? Really important. Jesus tells us very simply how to establish the support that we need in order to have a happy life. So we've been standing for scripture reading, and I want to continue that. I'd like to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So I'd like you to please stand and read this together with me. <clears throat> We're going to read all 12 verses of the Beatitudes again, uh, though we're going to be focusing on just two of them today. So verse 1, together. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right, so blessed. In verses 3, 7, 8, and 9, in the amplified, amplified version, it says this, happy to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward condition. That's what I just talked about a little bit earlier. Regardless of what's happening on the outside, whether we think it's good or whether we think it's bad, regardless of all that, Jesus says we can be happy, we can be blessed. Okay? <clears throat> a powerful promise for us to, to hang on to as believers. We can be happy regardless of our outward conditions. For a bit of a review, as we think of a solid foundation, the first two building blocks are found in verses 3 and 4. That's the two verses just prior to our text today. So in the first one is, The poor in spirit in verse 3. How's that showing? Okay. Maybe that's a little small for you to read, but try, to, try your best there. You have to move forward if you can't. Verse 3. The poor in spirit, they recognize their utter dependence upon God. If you're poor in spirit, you're a humble person and you're recognizing you need God. That's very foundational. God is our strength, our value, our confidence, our joy. It means, as I said, being totally dependent upon God. This takes the pressure for success away from us. We recognize our spiritual poverty. We need God. The second building block those that mourn, blessed are they that mourn. They find themselves on their knees before God. We can have a deep inner peace and inner joy in our lives in spite of heartbreaking conditions that we face. So not everything we face is happy, happy, rah, rah, you know, jumping up and down. We face difficult times. We face times of sadness and mourning as Christians. But in the midst of all that, we can have this deep inner joy and inner peace in our lives that only comes through Jesus Christ. Only. Without Christ, we can't have this. <clears throat> we go on we go to him on our knees and, and he lifts us up. Okay? So blessed are they that mourn, those who are Going through very, very difficult times with Christ, you can have that inner joy and inner peace. They shall be comforted. Heaviness can come because of the death of a loved one. We've Probably most of us have experienced the death of a loved one. The Good Shepherd says in Psalm 23, verse 4, that he walks, it says, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. The verse says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, 
they comfort me. Secondly, heaviness can come because we remember our sins. And I really think that's what it's talking about here. Blessed be that mourn. Mourning because we know we are sinful mankind. We are sinful. And we are mourning. We are crying out to God because we need God and we are sinful people. Jesus gives us complete forgiveness. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thirdly, heaviness can come when we think of the sinful condition of the world around us. Do you have a, a, a burden for the lost around you? And you think about the lost around you and that sinful condition, that's, that's, that's a sad thing. And so, blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. Jesus offers us the opportunity to be his witnesses to this lost world around us. In Acts 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, Macmillan County, Tennessee, or wherever you live. Gene Williams says, anything that puts me on my knees results in happiness because it drives me closer to him. Spending time on our knees brings us closer to him. We can focus on Jesus. So regardless of whether we are grieving the loss of a loved one or the sins of humankind, we can find comfort because we know there is hope. Jesus brings hope. Now, today we want to look at verses 5 and 6 of the text of Matthew 5. <clears throat> First one, next building block, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. What is meekness? Meekness, a gentle, being gentle of a soothing disposition. Vine's Dictionary says this, uh, it is an inwrought grace of the soul, and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. So, meekness I, I, I call a gentle strength. A gentle strength. <clears throat> the world takes the position uh, that powerful and controlling people are happy. So what Jesus is teaching here is in contrast to the way the world thinks and believes today. Powerful, controlling people are happy. Do you think those men that Marlon had up here are happy people? Well, you have to just think that within your heart, whatever you want to think about that. But I think deep down in, they probably are not too happy. Um, they're probably searching for something that they haven't found yet. Um, there's a person called Art Markman. He has a PhD. He's a writer. He said, powerful people are happy. I'm talking about the world's perspective, perspective of power. Powerful people are happy. Psychology Today says power makes people happy. Business Insider says the secret to happiness is power. I don't believe that. But that's world, the world's way of thinking. I believe that the people who fit that mold, deep down in, are still pretty miserable. 
Trevor Falk did a study and he wrote an article in the, in the Academy of Management Journal. His article was entitled, Heavy is the Head that Wears the Crown. He says this, quote, not only did those who, who were primed to feel more powerful in the morning engage in more abusive behavior during the day and perceive people were being more uncivil toward them, but they were also more likely to feel worse about themselves and less relaxed at the end of the day. It made them feel less fulfilled. Doesn't sound too happy to me. Many powerful world leaders live very miserable lives. President Abraham Lincoln, maybe you didn't know this about him, but Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill both battled very serious depression, as well as Mark Twain. Mark Twain wasn't a president or a world leader, but um, some of these famous and powerful people battled serious depression. And I realize that what I'm about to share happened before his presidency, but Lincoln experienced two major depressive breakdowns at age 26 and age 31, which included suicidal statements that frightened friends enough to form a suicide watch. At age 32, Lincoln is quoted as saying, quote, I am now the most miserable man living. So that was before his presidency, I realized. But uh, he went on to be the president and a very powerful man. And I don't know how he was at the time of his death or during the presidency, where, what his condition was like. But uh, if you study some of these powerful people like that, they are not too happy. An attitude of meekness can also contrast some attitudes reflected in the church. Some of us are overly dogmatic in our demands of each other. And that can be a problem. But Jesus calls us to meekness, even as brothers and sisters in the church. The Beatitudes um, calls us to be something before we can do something. You think about that. We need to be meek. We need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We need to be poor in spirit. Be something before we do something. Meekness is not understood as weakness. If you talk to somebody in the world they, and you describe a meek person, they might think that, that person's a weak, or a weak person or a wimp. But a truly meek person is a very strong individual. How many people here today uh, like to fly? No, let's, let's put it there. I shouldn't ask this question. I was going to say, how many people are afraid to fly? I'll just stop with that. Some people are afraid to fly. And uh, I'm not one of those. I enjoy flying a lot. But if you're, if you're here today and you are, are afraid of flight, maybe this next little illustration will help you to uh, ease some of those fears. But this picture is a Boeing 787 on the left. And the picture on the right is a stress, a wing stress test that was done back in the year 2010. Now, if you notice here, it's kind of a little bit hard to see, but here's the fuselage of the plane. And look at the wing right there going up there and up there. So they took the wings and they pulled them up 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 until they break. It doesn't show them breaking on there. 
but they want to see how high they can take them up in that stress test before they will break and snap. So did you ever see a plane flying through the air with the wings that high? That should give you a little ease if you're afraid of flying. They really can flex big time. So when you see, look out the window and you see the, the wing up there just moving just a little bit, like, oh man, we can go a lot further than that yet. So that's, that's just a little illustration of strength, okay? The airplane looks really sleek and really nice, but those wings, they look really, really skinny out there towards the end. How can it carry so much weight? But it's very, very strong, but it's very, very flexible. Now here's another one. What that is, is uh, the, some of you know that I built an airplane a number of years ago from a company called Sonex. And this is actually one of their tests that they did on one of their wings. This is a different model airplane than I had, but the wing here on the bottom is actually sitting there upside down. So what they did was they put the wing upside down and they started stacking sand, sandbags on it. And they wanted to see how many sandbags they could get on that thing before the wing would fail. So, if you're familiar at all with, with flying, they have what they call G-forces, gravitational forces. They have positive Gs and negative Gs. Did you ever go over a hill in a car? Uh, this is a good place it's over here on the golf course road, whatever that road number is. You go over real fast on the hill, you go up over the hill, and your stomach feels like it's going up in this way, and back down again. Okay, that's a negative G-force. A positive G-force is when you go down in the valley and hit a, a deep, of a gradual coming out of the valley, it's, it goes down and all of a sudden you level out and it would sink you down in your seat. Okay, that would be a positive G-force. Or if you are flying, you can know that if you if you pull back on the yoke, you're going to get sunk down in your seat. That's a positive G. If you push the yoke forward, you're going to be like, ah. okay, that's a negative G. Okay? So this here is represented a positive G-force because remember that I said that this is upside down. So the weight if you flip that wing around, you're representing how much weight, how much force that can take when you're flying like this, and uh, how much before the thing's going to fail. But you can see there's lots and lots of weight, lots and lots of sandbags on that thing, and it hasn't failed from that picture yet. I don't know how many they actually put on until it did fail, but very, very strong aluminum wings. They look, they look kind of small, and they think, how can it be so much? But they're very strong. Trying to represent... Uh, meekness. Meekness is is very uh, is very strong, even though it doesn't look like that much, but it's very strong. Moses was considered Moses was considered one of the meekest men on the earth. In the Old Testament, we have his story, and I want to think about uh, the I want us to think about his confrontations with Pharaoh, the king, back in Exodus chapter seven through twelve. We're not going to go through all that, but that's where the uh, talking about the different plagues there. Moses didn't think he could speak to Pharaoh, but God gave him strength, and he stood there before Pharaoh many, many times, and during those ten plagues, he stood before Pharaoh, and he spoke exactly what the Lord told him to say, and he didn't bend under pressure. So the pressure that Pharaoh tried to put on Moses, he didn't bend. He stood very strong. He, he spoke the truth to Pharaoh, what God wanted to say, and didn't bend, and Moses to this day is considered a very meek man. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was anything but a weak man. He was meek as well. He is telling us that happiness comes to those who are patient, kind, long-suffering, those who realize the fact that 
Not everything's going to go their way. They find contentment in the fact that God loves them very much. A meek person is someone who's very strong in the face of a hostile world. They learn to enjoy life, whether or not they get their way. It's been said that meekness comes from a true view of oneself. Meek people do not exalt themselves. Think about Moses. He didn't stand there exalting himself. He was what he did whenever he did those, uh, like when he put when he put the uh, the staff on the, on the ground and it became a snake. You know, him and Aaron were there. Uh, he wasn't exalting himself. He that was a that was pointing to God, God's strength, God's miracles. Okay, so a meek person does not uh, exalt themselves. What is going on inside of someone who feels the need to exalt himself? By the way. When somebody feels the need to exalt themselves, what's going on inside of them? Is he a happy person? Is he a content person? Will he tend to stand up strong under peer pressure? Probably not. Just describing someone there who is not meek, somebody who has to exalt themselves. They're not happy, they're not content. They're not going to stand strong under pressure. Meek people do not always, are not always on the defensive. Okay? They're not always on the defensive. How does a meek person uh, respond when he's criticized for standing for righteousness? A meek person will stand strong when he's criticized for standing for righteousness. He, he won't bend. He won't waver. Since meek people are not constantly on guard to protect themselves or their rights or promote their interests, then they are free to enjoy God's presence. And this brings happiness. Freedom. I'll give you a little illustration here. One time there was a well-known preacher that was walking with his son. There was a man that approached them started talking to the preacher. At one point, the man asked the preacher his opinion of Bill, who had been at great odds with the preacher. The preacher said something along these lines. I think that he's a good man, talking about this man named Bill. I think he's a good man. Not long after that, the man went on his way. And once the father and the son were alone again, the son looked up at his dad and said, I thought Bill hated you and couldn't stand you. Why were you so complimentary toward him when you were asked what you thought of him? Which the preacher said, Because, son, I wasn't asked what Bill's opinion was of me, but what my opinion was of him. Do we gossip and slander others? We respond in gentleness and kindness. So when, when we're at odds with someone, what is our attitude towards that person? He may have a bad opinion of me, but what is my opinion of him? Someone has said, humility is not cowardice. Meekness is not weakness. Humility and meekness are indeed spiritual powers. 
And I think if we're going to have true humility and true meekness, then we must, first of all, have the power of the Holy Spirit within by yielding our lives to Jesus Christ. All right, that's meekness, and you can say more about it, but let's go on to the next building block. The next building block is in verse 6. Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do we have that yearning for righteousness, that yearning for Jesus and for the kingdom? One time there was a little boy who was dreading a test that he was going to take at school the next day, and he was not prepared. He woke up with a feeling of sickness and said, Mama, I'm sick. I won't be able to, take, I won't be able to go to school today. She said, okay, honey, just stay in bed. But he protested that he wanted to eat some breakfast first. She replied, well, if you have a good appetite, there isn't much wrong with you. I'll prepare breakfast for you while you get ready for school. He wasn't maybe as sick as you thought he was. <clears throat> this is very true on a spiritual level, too. If you have a good appetite, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, then there isn't much wrong with you. If you evaluate your life, do you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2a, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 82, verse 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So these are some verses from Psalms where the psalmist has a deep yearning for God. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Is that you today? Do you hunger and thirst for God? Do those verses, do the psalmist's words reflect how you feel in your heart? There's much that we could say about this beatitude, but note what is desired in this verse. What is desired is righteousness. What is righteousness? Being in right standing with God. But notice also the result of that desire, happiness. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Happiness is the result. We will be filled to overflowing. We can have all of God that we want. He, as someone said, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's standing to the hills too. And he, he wants to give us many good things. We can have all we want. But do we, are we yearning after him today? This is, this is contrary to the emphasis of the world, which, which tells us to pursue happiness at any cost worldly happiness did you know that happiness is as elusive to those who seek it as the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is to those who seek it you ever see a rainbow go all the way to the ground supposedly in the distance and you thought I wish I could just get out there where it's touching but when you get closer and closer it's not there 
It's elusive. So if you're seeking this world's happiness, it's exactly the same. You're never going to find it. You're not going to find lasting happiness. People who hunger and thirst more for God are never frustrated. When we hunger and thirst after God, he gives us satisfaction. He gives us contentment. Hungering and thirsting are indicative of life's two most desperate needs. Physically, we cannot live without food and water. Have you ever heard of the survivor rule of threes? You can't live more than three minutes without air, three hours without shelter and freezing temperatures, three days without water, and three weeks without food. Okay, that's a general rule of thumb, maybe. Maybe there's some exceptions. But even so, how long can you live without having a hungry and healthy relationship with the living God? Think about that spiritually. How long can you live without hungering and thirsting after God? The language Jesus uses here in verse 6 is very clear. He indicates that we are being continuously filled with what we need. Again, the Amplified Version of Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born-again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is uprightness and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. They shall be completely satisfied. That is God's promise to us. Does the world have a promise like that? Nope. You may get satisfied for a few minutes, but it won't last. But when you hunger and thirst after God and you follow after God, then you can have true, complete satisfaction. Everyone who truly wants God will receive a constant supply of, of righteousness. It is no wonder that we will find genuine happiness in him. <clears throat> Many church members in our world are unhappy they're frustrated, and they live defeated. In order for us to realize the true happiness that so many are seeking today, we must come to the place where God is of primary importance in our lives. Life is not kind, and some people find that, to dif that difficult to understand. Some people take the attitude that being a Christian should eliminate all of our problems. That's not true. But remember how we were reminded recently that life is not fair, but God is just. There's no need in our personal lives that a genuine hunger and thirst for God will not satisfy. The true nature of meekness adds incredible strength to our lives. These two Building blocks are ones which we can build very happy lives. These two additional ones. We have four so far. Verses three, four, five, and six. And Lord willing, the next time we will pick up from there and move forward with some more of these building blocks. Do you have gentle strength and a big appetite today? Let's bow our heads for prayer.
thank you, Lord. Thank you for these beatitudes that are recorded here in Scripture. Thank you for teaching us these ways to live in the kingdom of God here on earth. Father, help us to be strong, gently. Help us to have more and more and more of a desire for you, for righteousness. Help us to walk daily with you through the power of your Holy Spirit. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.